This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, a conversation with a man who kayaked from California to Hawaii on purpose. Cyril tells us how he was able to complete the mind-blowing task, why he did it, and what it's like to be alone at sea for 91 days. Could we prevent the next pandemic by making it in a lab first? Practice. On the world of weird things, Greg Fish takes us through the controversial new research that could give us new tools to fight pandemics in the future. Plus, what TV show did you grow up with? TV theme songs, your calls and texts on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. What is your favorite of the TV shows that you grew up with? If you had to pick one, what is yours? 877-399-9898. Calls and texts, please. Look to bat about the uh, the different shows that we all grew up with. Maybe it's some indicator of why we are the way we are. Raised by TV. What show did you grow up with? Now, we're inspired on this because of a show called Blue's Clues. This is a show that Ryan grew up with. It's been on TV ever since he was very young, which is not long ago. But a new movie is coming out, and it's bringing hey. the cast of the old show and the new one together, including Ryan's first true crush. We must go to New York City. We have to help find them. I know a guy. You? Is that you? Josh and Blue are in New York City. They could be lost. This is a big deal. I know. Remember what Josh always says? We can do anything we want to do. You can do anything you want to do. You can do anything that you want to do. You can do anything that you want to do, Ryan. Yay! Blue's Clues was excellent. It was like a, just a good kids show. And I, you know, I I remember it very fondly because it was kind of like Dora the Explorer in the sense it was interactive, right? So what do you see? How, you know, let's read this together. It was that style. And uh, it was before Dora, but no, just this uh, paper animated blue dog and the the host, they would just have these really silly, colorful little adventures. And it was just like the perfect show to watch when I was super young. My brother liked it more than me and had a talking blues clues like plush stuffy, right? But. I remember it so fondly, and the the older host came out of nowhere. He disappeared. Well, he didn't disappear. You know, he quit, and then didn't act, didn't do anything since the show in the two thousands. And then during the pandemic, he just showed up and said, "Hey, I've grown up, and so have you, and you're all amazing." And me now, as an adult, just cried profusely. <laughs> and so it's cool now because this movie has him and the hosts that do the show now in an adventure in New York and it looks very sweet so like very nice so right. i think it's i think it's cool i think it's very cool um um oh man there's so many text messages here okay so what is the what is your tv show that you grew up with bk you grew up in uh, the niagara peninsula what is your tv show do you remember uh there's a few you nail it down to 
Uh, there's a few. Uh, I would say that the one that uh, I started watching the earliest that has stuck with me through life is actually The Simpsons, which... Oh, really? Yeah, which uh, probably uh, accounts for my somewhat cynical and yeah, no kidding. facetious worldview. Um, yeah, because I remember watching some of these episodes when they originally aired. It started in 1989, so I would have been five years old. And I remember being in the first grade and watching them. It started with a babysitter, and then my mom got into it, and she enjoyed early seasons of The Simpsons. Both my parents actually loved The Simpsons. My mom loved Marge Simpson. We used to sit down and watch The Simpsons every week. Wow. So, yeah, I grew grew up as a child very early on. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Um, We got a text message from Trucker Dan, and he says, uh, MASH, which is... That just takes you right back there. If you've ever seen the show, if it was part of your life at all. Now, for me, that would be a part of, like you talk about, like time that spent with my parents. Time was probably MASH. It was when we lived on Vancouver Island in the early 80s and, and that, right? Like, I remember that. But truly, if I was thinking about my time after school, it was probably... There was a pair of shows back-to-back. And um, they... Probably the Jetsons. And the Jetsons was always paired with... Now, if, you, if you're of my age, you know exactly what this is. Um, it was paired with this and the Flintstones. And they were always back-to-back after school. So what is your TV show that you grew up with? Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Let's go to Catherine in Surrey and say hey to Cat. Hi. Hi there. What was the show you grew up with? I grew up with uh, Little House in the Prairie. Yeah. And uh, what was it, Laura? Laura Ingram? No. Ingles. Ingval. Ingval. Ingal. Ingval. Ingles. Ingles. Laura Ingles. That's what it was. Yeah, that was a that was a big show though. Like that was a big deal. It was, and, and people would respect each other, and they yeah. would talk to people like they were normal. There was no chip on their shoulder, you know. Yeah, it was wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, no I competition. Love that. It was just like you're my brother, you're my sister, right? We're yeah. a team, right? You're a team. I love it. I love the simpler times. This is your hippies coming through here, Catherine. Oh, totally. <laughs> I loved totally. it. I loved it back then. It was a good show. I was your episode. Yes. My sister. This is my sister's show. If I had to pick a, a show that was my sister's, Catherine, she's on the same page as you. It was this one. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the call, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Um, has Ryan ever heard of Ernie Coombs? Text message. Mm, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I always oh, this Googling. guy. I'm Googling, but I'm a face person, right? I really struggle with names. Also found out that I had a family reunion this weekend. And it, it turns out many O'Donnells are really terrible at remembering names that don't um, have O'Donnell in them. Um, <laughs> no, I don't remember, but Mr. he kind of looks like. Dress up. Yeah, he looks man. like. Uh, yeah, like can, is this guy like Canada's Mr. Rogers? Basically, Basically, yes, yeah. You summed him up yep. in a nutshell there. 
Huh, yeah. Cool. I love you it. A, you had a doll and a dog. <laughs> Casey and Finnegan, right? That's what the names were? That's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What was the show that you grew up with? Um, the, like this is, I love this, by the way. Let's go to Judy, who's in North Vancouver, uh, 877-399-9898. Um, what was your show, Judy? Uh, Riverboat. Riverboat. Wow, that's yeah. a long time ago. I, I searched up Riverboat, Judy, yeah. and it's so long ago the theme song isn't even on online. <laughs> Figures. What is, uh, what's your favorite part of Riverboat? What was the thing that really had you? Oh, uh, the scenery, I think. <laughs> oh, really, eh? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I watched it right through, and as long as it was, it was the one. <clears throat> was on it was for a, I don't know two or three years or something. And that was the paddle boat, wasn't it? A paddle boat or just a, was it a, like just a river boat? Yeah. Wasn't it a paddle boat? Paddle boat. Yeah, I remember yeah. it. Like I remember the imagery from it. I, it wasn't a show that I watched, but I remember seeing the imagery of it. It was on the Mississippi. Judy, thank you for the phone call. Okay, thank you. Wonderful. That's a throwback too. If we're going to talk about boats, though, it's pretty sexy, man. You know this one, Ryan? Man, uh, it's the love boat, man. Love boat, Ryan. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. Hey, look. If I had Ryan. access to play some of the TV shows that I grew up with, you'd be making the same sounds. This is okay. Uh, well, this, give me I'm one. Then. A little bit. What, what's, a, what's another show that you grew up with? Let's play it. Let's see if we're okay. Well, okay. Uh, let's do Fairly Odd Parents. Fairly Odd Parents. Never. Heard mm-hmm. of that. The best. That was that was my favorite. Okay, show so was to watch this actually on TV though? Yes. Show about a kid getting two fairly godparents that'll w- give him any wish he wants. It's hilarious. So cartoon. Good. Cartoon. Yeah. Okay, so do time cartoon. All right. Um, very like I Dream of Genie or like that era mm-hmm. of theme song by the sounds of it, but it's newer. Yeah. This is a big one. Um, Hogan's Heroes comes in on the text, of course. Sesame Street was really it. I mean, I, I think that we could probably all agree that that had an impact on um, on most of us. Like, Three Stooges has come in a couple of times. Um, I um, The Elephant Show here. Um, there's a couple here that I, that I, I don't know... I don't know if anybody's it's going to work out the same way for everybody here, but let's see if I can grab this one quickly here. Um, oh, it's not coming up. Danger Bay. I was trying to get the Danger Bay theme song. And then there's the Beachcombers theme song as well. So what are your um, in, what are your TV shows that you grew up with? Uh, let's go, uh, BK. I'm going to uh, get your attention there. Let's go to Kelly here, who is uh, in Calgary. Now, Kelly, you're, you're on the same page as me, Flintstones and Jetsons. Yes, sir, and I also grew up watching Chips also. Chips, California and, Highway Patrol. And the Night Rider. Night Rider. Oh man, Night oh, Rider yeah. was good. Did you watch um Night Rider was good and it didn't last um uh, very long, but the uh did you watch Airwolf? No, there was Airwolf too though, at the, at that yep. same time. Absolutely. All right, thanks for the call, Kelly. Thank you. Appreciate it. You betcha, 877-399-9898. What TV shows did you watch? Oh, we got David Toronto there. We got his theme song on right now. What a good coincidence. Um, BK, let's flip to Dave. 
Dave, how are you? We got your song on. I I know I was hearing that, <laughs> but I had a whole bunch of them. But yeah, that's a yeah, good that's one. cool. What else? Uh, what are some of the um, What are some of the other theme songs that are themes that TV shows that had a big impact on you when you were younger? Because Ryan had the uh, Blues Clues. Well, Blues Clues. Night Rider was one of them, obviously, and then Full yeah. House, Family Matters, uh, Growing Pains. Growing Pains was a good one. Yeah, that's good. I think I got it here. Um, there was a man. They don't make TV like that no more. <laughs> no, but it, have you watched any of these shows recently, Dave? Because when we watch them back in time, sometimes they're not as good as we remember either, right? You know, those the ones that I just named at you. There, they they do. They are. They yeah. Yeah, stand the test of time, uh, hey. Well, and. Some of them are good. Even dinosaurs. Remember dinosaurs? Honey, I'm home. Remember that? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I love that. Right. That's so good. Oh, man. I'm going to check that out, see if I can find that. Thanks so much, by the way. Dave and Toronto right there. Um, dinosaurs theme song. I haven't heard that. Uh, dinosaurs TV theme song. Is this it? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, it is. It's funny. You I haven't heard them in forever, right? And then all of a sudden you hear like two beats of it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. This is probably doesn't have the voiceover because this is the orchestra. It's wild, hey? Um, that was not a great show, though. I mean, I remember watching it. I watched it all the time. I love this. Do you know this, Ryan? I think I talked to you about Fraggle Rock when the new one was coming out, and you're like, the what? The, yeah, I to, I was, so I know about Fraggle Rock now. Yeah. It was the new one that was shot in Calgary at the studio, but... I did not know about it before we're coming to the show. I was—I remember I was trying to tell you about the dozers. The doozers? The dozers. I think they're the dozers. Little worker guys. Oh, so yep. good. Generations, man. It's so different. What about the Friendly Giant, the Adams Family, the Munsters, Dukes of Hazard, Incredible Hulk, um, Full House, Friendly Giants. Uh, A-Team, Adam-12, Starsky and Hutch, Hill Street Blues, wow, Married with Children, Ponderosa, Get Smart, All in the Family, Dance Your Cares Away. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See out of the team. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. It's, this is all we had on our 13 channels. That's another conversation we could probably have here. What is your favorite TV show? The one that you grew up with. Ryan's was Blues Clues. I think mine was Flintstones, Jetsons, BK's. Uh, the Simpsons. What is yours? We want to know. This is the Shift Podcast. You know, when you're driving along, maybe you're in the bathtub, I don't know, and then you get like a really bright idea. You're like, I know what I'm going to do. I promise it is not the same as this guy. His bright idea is absurd. Let's be honest. Uh, Cyril, uh, Cyril Deramo is here on the Shift and I'm just going to say what it is you did, Cyril, because this is wild. You decided to get in a kayak and you rowed your boat from the West Coast of the United States to Hawaii. Like, airfare is not that expensive, man. Like, it's <laughs> a lot, but you could do it. How are you? Thanks for being here. I'm phenomenal. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
So you uh, you did it. Now you tried this before, didn't work. You did it again. Let's uh, let's start with your story and what you got up to. Can you tell us that, please? Yes, I mean, I'm a dreamer, and not only a dreamer, but I'm a dreamer doer. And I have a philosophy in life that you have to follow your guts. And if something makes you vibrate, like you do something and you love it, you have to do it again and again and follow it and keep doing at it. It doesn't matter if you're. Your passion is to take photos of butterflies around the world, or if it's painting, if it's singing, if it's meeting people, do it. So I started paddling uh, only when I moved in California. So I'm French, but I, I traveled quite a bit. And at, th- at the age of 32 years old, I moved to California. And before that, it was only playing soccer. And a friend of mine from Fiji said, you got to come in these Polynesian canoes. It's so fun. And I started paddling eight miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. And then there's a race to Catalina Island. It's 32 miles. And then and then always pushing the limit a little bit more because I was vibrating. I was loving it. So then I did a 100-mile race. And then I went to Canada on the Yukon um, territories, do that race. It's called the Yukon River Quest, 440 miles. And I loved it. And I figured, actually, I'm not a very good paddler. I'm not fast. I'm not strong, but I can keep going. So six years ago, I did the, the crossing of that stretch of the water from California to Hawaii on a four-man rowing boat. And uh, so that's sculling, right? You, you go with oars and you go backward. And I loved it. We got the Guinness record for the fastest crossing in 39 days. And then I said, I'm never going to do that again. It's too hard. <laughs> so well, that's, but, that's the that's amazing. That's what normal people would say. Exactly. <laughs> I was normal. Then. But then the bug of, you know, you read a few books of people that have crossed ocean in a kayak, which is very much different than a rowing boat much lower to the water, different paddling techniques. And I said, well, I think I can do that. It was a knowledge of navigation and survival at sea and of, of kayaking. So I started to dream about it, build the boat and tried it. Last year, it didn't, didn't work. After six days, I had to be rescued because of really strong winds and a failure of my sea anchor. But, you know, that's what you have to keep the dream uh, dream alive. And I changed my life, my work, so I could make it happen again. And this year, finally, I did it. I did it. <laughs> That's so good. 91 well, days alone at sea. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing. And congratulations on the accomplishment. I mean, Cyril, most people after the fact that you had to get rescued in a small boat in the middle of nowhere would have gone, you know what? Some dreams are okay to let go of, right? Like, you know, but you stuck to it. And, uh, and here you go. It was 91 days, nine hours. It's not a very big boat, but it is substantially bigger than a kayak. So, I mean, you were pulling a lot more weight than a traditional kayak would, if you think of river kayaks and even sea kayaks. I mean, because this had a little place for you to sleep and stuff. And so, I mean, you were pulling a lot of weight doing this to get it moving. Yeah. Um, my first priority was safety. Uh, I don't want to be a maverick that does adventures. In fact, I call myself a regular guy. So if I were to do an adventure, you know, I'm, I've got my two kids. I don't want to die. I love life too much. So I had to have the right boat. And the right boat for the ocean is a bigger boat. Um, so it's actually so seven meters long or 23 feet long. And it's pretty narrow because you have to be able to paddle side to side, right? But it has to be self-rightening. It has to have a good ballast. It has to be, you know, pretty much unsinkable. And when I had the, the boat builder on the phone, I said, this is what I want. Safety is my priority. I don't care if I'm slow. I could have gone faster. But yeah, it was a boat meant for the ocean. Uh, some pretty big waves. The first time you went, the wind got you. 
Um, then you've got, now you've got this pretty big boat and I have so many questions, Cyril. Okay. So like you rode for a bunch of hours. What was it, about seven hours a day? Is that what it was? Nine hours a day? Yeah. Yeah. 10 hours a day. The, 10 the hours first a day. week was 12 because I had to get off the coast of California and, and beat the currents. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You got tides and then you have weather. Um, we've all seen the videos on TikTok and Instagram about how big those waves can get. And then, so you've got weather and what, like drifting at nighttime, sleeping, like you talked about an anchor, but you're talking pretty deep. Like how, how in the world did you, you know, not, maybe you did waste a bunch of time when you were taking a nap. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when you're solo, um, there's not much you can do at night. You still have to rest. So you paddle your 10 to 12 hours a day and then when I put I talk about the sea anchor, it's actually a para anchor. So it's it's the parachute that you put on behind the boat, and what it does, it it brings the boat perpendicular to the wave, so that your your boat is riding the wave and it's very safe that way. Now, yeah, there's three components of, of navigation at sea. The first one is the wind, so that creates wind waves. The second one will be the current that you don't really see, but it's it's a, the big currents that exist in in the ocean. And the third is the swell. And those swell can cross the ocean. So those three are parameters that the weather router, the professional weather router would tell me every day, okay, this is the strength for the next three days. And and de depending on the infor information that it gives me, I will decide whether I, I put a sea anchor or not, if I you know, paddle more or less. Um, but for sure, I mean, this boat is the 800 pound boat. I had uh, 90 days of food. That's about 220 pounds. That's what, 100 kilos. And um it's it's a heavy weight, so I need to rest. And over ninety days, I got to take care of my body, my mind, and my emotions. When you're alone, you have to be really, really self-aware of everything that's going on on the boat. But um, oh, it's a beautiful adventure, my man. To be in the middle of the ocean, um, some people could think it's scary, but um, once you you know what could what could be the risk, and then you mitigate them by the right actions, it's beautiful. You and I have a very, I believe you, but we have a very different view on what is beautiful, but I feel like I get it. I like, I feel like I'm inspired by the, uh, the work plus the moments. I, I would imagine there's a series of moments. Did you log any of that stuff? Video logging, um, writing things down when you stopped at night and when you had these moments, I don't know, uh, a whale comes close. Like, I don't know. Like where, where did you? Were you able to archive some of these moments as you went through them? I mean, that's the beauty that I really hear. Oh, definitely. Um, one of the things I want to do with all my adventures is, is share them because you never know who you're going to inspire. And, you know, I did that for my first did trip around the world when I was 25 and all the trips I've done. And and now with social media, it's great. You know, I just have to send an email and even low def picture. And on my website, so hawaii.com people could, could see the live uh, tracker that would every hour be updated with my GPS position. And every time that I had a, a thought, an idea, I would share uh, them. And it's amazing how to see people that are not kayakers, not ultra endurance paddlers or anything would connect to the thought because I actually went into a mode of very spiritual journey. After a month and a half, I was completely decluttered. How to explain it? You have no email, no social media, no phone call, yeah. no calendar, nothing to do else than to be in the moment. So yeah. you, your mind just opens. It's like your like uh, yeah, spiritual journey. Like monks do that. They they get in, in walls, and and suddenly you know big thoughts, like philosophical thoughts, came to mind. I just put it on the paper. I said, I'm going to share this. I don't care yeah. what people think. You know, it's it's about love. It's about 
you know, fraternity. I love that. So <laughs> let me tell you. So this summer I did a retreat and it was, um, it was a philosophy retreat, but the point of it mostly was that it was a seven day complete, like I handed in my phone for seven days. And I was only surrounded by the study we were in front of by nature and the people around us. Yeah. And there were elements of silence, but then there was lots of elements of not silence. And when you withdraw just the phone for seven days, mm-hmm. when I came back into civilization afterwards, everything moved quickly. It was like this massive overstimulation of constant. I wrote some of the most profound writings that I write in those seven days i wrote 27 letters in seven days right to people and i haven't written letters in forever right Mm -hmm. and so i feel like i really get that that there there is this spiritual awakening now how what was it for you what did you find i mean did you like yourself did you not like yourself i mean it sounds like you're willing to share everything i mean there must have been some elements where you looked Mm -hmm. you're, you're going along and you're going you know what i really don't like that part i mean it must have been both beautiful and dark oh yeah yeah so what i would say is uh, on on the crossing, you know, it's physical as well because uh, the first week you paddle twelve hours a day, so you're exhausted physically. Then you have sleep deprivation because you have to wake up every hour to see if there's container ship coming. And the first week I was seasick, so uh, and then the second one, the second week exhausted, and I had to um, really just. Re- I mean, you're you're going to a place where you're so raw in emotions you're so thin say emotional and i'm an emotional guy so i would cry every day that's thinking of people man i miss them so much i'm starting to cry you know my parents i want to hug them and stuff and and then you say okay well okay why why do i miss so much people well it's because it's the love they give me and then i started to go into that spiritual journey where okay well pretty much humans we we feed up each other's um, energies, if you, you could call it an energy, but love or attention. Like if you, somebody gives you a smile, you receive that energy. You know, you don't have to touch or anything. It's just people give each other's energy and that's, we're made of love. So I started to think about love and, and you know, it's a big concept, but I think the next one was fraternity. How, well, it's, it's, you know, what if we were to treat each other like brothers, like I look at you and you're my big brother or young brother, young brother. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We, Your beard's brown. Mine's white. I'll take it. <laughs> you, I mean, just by changing this, we, we, we could literally change the world by looking at each other. It doesn't matter what country you're from. If you, you arrive and you have this mindset of, yeah, this is my brother from another mother. This. So I started into going into this very, very spiritual journey and, and share it and, uh, very personal, but in the mm-hmm. end, I think here's what I think. Here's what I've learned: all those values I had before the the crossing, before the paddling. But what this crossing did, it revealed them to me in a very clear way, so that now for my second half of my life, I can live them more intently with with intention. And that's what I've learned because many times I people say, "Why do you want to cross the ocean?" So there's a the the reason say okay well i think it can do it I've, I've got the experience i've got the skills i've got the will and you know i'm, I'm excited about going in the ocean and see the white all is good but there's a part of me like i don't know there's something i gotta find there's a gut feeling that I, I need to be doing this and i think the ocean gave me the answers by clarifying that those values of of love of fraternity <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. and then that's really all that matters and you you might think that I'm rewriting the song Imagine of John Lennon, but <laughs> it's it's actually that. And, and nobody can teach me that anywhere in the world. I just had to go and do it myself. 
Yeah, and that is so valuable. I hope everybody hears it when you say that because that is so incredibly important that you've got to, I, in my writing, I, 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 being a radio guy, like words too. So this is a thing that's for me. And the number one biggest word in the English language, uh, and I think it translates to all languages quite fairly, but the number one word is actually participate. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have any of it, whether you participate. And some people say, but sometimes I don't participate. But when you don't participate, you're still participating. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, and all of it really comes down to how do you participate? So when you get off a boat, so you kayaked your way from the Bay Area on the West Coast of oh, the United Monterey. States. Yes, Monterey. Oh, you left Monterey? Yes. Uh, so so the, you left from Monterey and then you went all the way to Hawaii, which by the way, this link is at solokayaktohawaii.com. I've put the link up on um, our Facebook group for everyone to see it. And you are rowing across. You get ninety days. How much? How much weight did you lose, by the way? So I lose. I lost twenty pounds. And That's already, not bad. In two weeks, I already gained ten more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everything. I'm well, missing. that does get to my next question. I'm going to ask this first one first, though. The um, you you get off the boat. You're in Hawaii now, and you have a whole new look on what is the the word community, mm-hmm. right? Um. That must be amazing to come back to you. You don't really, it's great to be inspired, but when you step into your old life, you're standing in your living room, you're standing around those family and those friends. Mm-hmm. That's when community really hits you. How did that feel for you? Oh, it was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm fully, um, fully extrovert. I love people. I get energized by people. So that was one of my challenges, pushing my own limits. You know, my own boundary of comfort was how am I going to, do alone and and coming back was something i was really looking forward to what am i going to say to everybody that was there flew from california my parents flew from france my brothers and and just hugs and kisses but just the intensity you know it's it's a i explained this way uh you know when you go to a funeral and somebody dies and and it was real dear to you you you're you're taken at the the throat and the chest and then you're overwhelmed and it just it's but you're overwhelmed by emotions that are negative when when you do this, like like this this ninety days completely alone, I haven't seen a, a human being, not even standing up or walking. You go back on land, and there's the overwhelm emotion, but positive. You cry because you're so happy, and then you cannot contain those emotions. It's fantastic, uh, and and it's a bittersweet moment at the same time. I had created this world. You know, my boat is seven meters long, and it was my waves, it was my birds, my my fish. Uh, my clouds. I had created my own little world over there in the ocean. I knew to read the current and you had to read the winds and the rain. So it's a bittersweet moment. Obviously, I know that everything has to end. I was happy. I needed to gain, you know, strength back. back. And uh, um, I'm, I'm trying as much as I can. And that's why I'm so thankful that you invited me to share mm-hmm. the, the the experience of following one's dream because it it doesn't matter, like I said earlier, what you, you what you do. If you have the motivation and the fire, go for it because this is what happiness is. Don't you know? We can't chase that. If you chase vibration, and it could be just having a dinner and, and with friends and family. It could be just very simple. It doesn't have to be cross the ocean, but mm-hmm. this is what we need to do. And thank you for for being a platform to allow me to say that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so um, you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Does it give you a better look at some of these people from our history? I mean, there are people who sailed the oceans before. I mean, they did it in much larger boats, um, but they did. They had the courage to sail the oceans. There are philosophers that that um, sat and they created these grand notions that we often mm-hmm. subscribe to today. There were astronomers that looked up to the stars and, and they were able to, you know, interpret what was going on with that. And then there's musicians who you know, write lyrics. You talked about John Lennon, Imagine, one of the most beautiful songs of all time. But there's one point uh, in your live tracker where you basically stop and you translate it to to French, but in English, it's one love, one heart, let's get together and feel all right. <laughs> now that's Bob Marley. So yeah. does that take you, does that make you really realize how profound these people, uh, philosophers, musicians, mm-hmm. writers, all of it, how profound they actually were in our lives? We take that for granted. Oh, for sure. I mean, those are maverick trailblazers. They they followed they followed their um, their heart and and their. I think they understood the reason they were on Earth, and I think everybody needs to find that reason. Um, and in so many ways, you know, I, I can't put myself in, in into the same level as them, but I think it's the same fire that is is in me and in everyone and you just have to find it. I think it would be sad for people to go through life and, and not actually find the reason they were put on earth. Uh, but yeah, those guys, I mean, if you, you go on a boat and you don't know where you're going, that's the unknown part of it. I've got a GPS, I've got a sat phone, I've got a satellite texting device. I've got a weather router telling me every day what's the weather going to be in five hours, you know? So it's, um, it's much easier, simpler, but I think the democratization of those adventures, um, you know, you, you can climb any mountain you want. You can go in any country in the world. Um, just make it so that we need to do it. And the problem, that's a paradox, is that we are allowed to do everything we want, yet we don't. Why? Because we've got, we're stuck in our job. We're stuck in our um, in mortgage, in, in, in situation that we actually could control, but we decide not to. And and that's like, you can do anything you want. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything you want. Um, I will throw you in the same uh, category as these people, even though you won't, I will. And here's why. Because all these people have written nice things and they have come up with grand notions, but not a single one of them rode a kayak across the Pacific um, from California to Hawaii. And so in your own way, you've done that, which is absolutely stunning um i can't believe you did it there's the amount of time that we have uh, run out of now is does not do this justice mm-hmm. so i look forward to talking to you more about it i do have to ask though what was the first thing you ate when you what was the first meal when you got to oh Hawaii? i'm french i had to eat cheese my friend cheese <laughs> <laughs> oh no and then my other nationality is, is american so i got burgers and fries and then i was in hawaii so i got fresh bouquet you know this these raw oh, yeah. fish that they cut and so good. And then fruits and, and veggies. And I mean, anything you put in front of me that is, does not include pouring water on it first. Yeah. That was a pleasure. I bet. <laughs> but here's the other thing I would say is when you're deprived of any kind of comfort. So, you know, my sleeping bag was wet, the confinement of the cabin moving all the time and, you know, whatever I ate or stuff. Coming back to land, you, you have a enhanced uh, a pleasure of all the simple things, you know, seeing a bird or or hugging a kid or having dry sheets and a hot shower, a cold beer. Look, it's life is good. You don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I bet those sheets felt so good. That hot water on your head probably felt so good. 
that's that beer that first beer it probably felt so good it probably got you really dizzy though but it probably felt so good <laughs> yeah no alcohol for 90 days no coffee for 90 days uh yeah but you know and and somehow i, I think it, it's something that i will try to do every once in a while just go back to the lack of comfort so you're reminded of how easy we have it i mean you turn a tap and you've got clear water you can drink my water maker broke after 46 days i had to manually make water like if i didn't do pump and desal the water in two days i had no water i was dead like you know it's simple fact that water is amazing <laughs> yeah worth protecting huh yeah, yeah. Worth protecting. Well, Cyril, thank you so much for this. Um, I do look forward to more conversations and the link for everyone to follow along and learn more about it. Um, you know, there's some apparel and stuff that you can learn about too. Uh, Cyril, uh, Cyril Deramo, solo unsupported human powered is the phrase that's under it. Rode a kayak. Rode. I don't want to say rode as in like Battle. you sat on it. <laughs> you rode, manually rode a kayak from California to Hawaii. 91 days. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Thank you, my brother. I'll see you soon. This is the shift podcast. It's time for us to, uh, Oh, do we have the new one today? We do. I don't even know if does fish know that we have a new one. Did we even tell him? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't tell him. Did you tell him? You teased him. You teased it last week. Did I really? Yeah, I was teased. <laughs> well, it's time for Greg Fish. Let's hit the thing. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird, weird things, things with Greg Fish. Ah, it's got a whole lot more snap. Greg Fish joins us, worldofweirdthings.com. Okay, Greg Fish, how are you doing, buddy? How are things in California for you? I'm doing great. This, uh, this, this new intro is, is definitely something. Isn't it? Pretty fancy. Yeah. Just made my day. Thanks. That's all it takes, eh? Good. Who knew? Um, so uh, you're here, and um, we are. Uh, we do this thing. It's, it's very weird, typically. Now, your topic, I'm not quite sure who it inflames more. The, uh, the people who uh, don't believe in the pandemic or the people that do believe in the pandemic and don't want another one. Or maybe it's the people that believe that it was all some sort of agenda that someone else put together. Can we prevent a pandemic by creating one in a lab? Some might say, Greg Fish, that's exactly what happened. Where are we going? I mean, those those people are wrong, and that's just all there's to that. We have numerous studies that prove that they are wrong. So we're not going to address that, and we're not going to specifically focus on COVID. What we are going to focus on is research known as gain of function, which is a very interesting topic to me because it's one of those things where it sounds so good and so plausible that there's a lot of scientists who say, oh, we should totally do this. And then there's a lot of experts who say, no, wait, first of all, you're probably wasting your time. Second of all, you actually might make things worse. So please stop doing that. So because this is so we're, we're really going to focus on the science because this is one of those topics where there is actually a legitimate debate whether this is a good idea or a bad idea whether this is whether this is actually science or it's just a very dangerous uh, adventurism with gene editing technology oh wow okay that just got big so we're not talking about we're just going to experiment by creating some sort of pandemic and then practice or anything this is not like a rehearsal 
It is and it isn't. So essentially the idea is as follows. There are something like half a million different viruses that we track. And we believe that those viruses could jump from animals to humans because they have some of the genetic markers that basically uh, indicate that they might do that. Now, out of those, we can go and concentrate on things that we, for which we don't really have vaccinations, which we really don't have treatments, grab those viruses and then experiment in the lab and see if we can actually change their genetics to invade human cells. So based on those models in a lab, we can say, okay, so to stop it, this is what the vaccine needs to look like. These are what the treatments need to look like. So if it actually does make the jump in nature, we're ready. And we have a vaccine. We have vaccines ready to manufacture. We have treatments ready to manufacture. That sounds pretty awesome, right? Like we, we can essentially try and figure out what the next pandemic is going to be, prepare for it. So when the next pandemic actually does hit, we can say, okay, perfect. We have all the tools that we need in order to not do lockdowns, in order to not um, not to do mass quarantines. Like we don't have to do what we just did. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> right? You're, you're in, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds great to me. I mean, what we went through sucked. And I don't think anybody was willing to go through it again if it could be avoided. But at what point, now this is Greg Fish in the world of weird things. So at what point does this turn into some sort of, um, you know, secret agenda that nobody wants to deal with, right? Oh, no, no, this is not a, this is not a secret agenda. Um, here's the thing. I also read about it and I was also just like you going, okay, in. And then I started digging a little deeper. And okay. now imagine what could be worse than repeating what we've what we've just went through. You have scientists investing many millions of dollars and many years into predicting five or six different potential pandemics, preparing the vaccines for them, preparing the treatments for them, and then a completely different virus hits. And we're not ready because we spent all this right. time preparing for viruses that didn't actually mutate. Because here's the thing. Just because we can put a virus in the lab and say, okay, if we change these genes, then it can attach to human cells, then it can invade human cells, and then we can gauge what kind of damage it will do and we'll prepare uh, for this pandemic. Well, that doesn't mean that that, is, that that virus is ever going to make a jump. In fact, it may divert and go further away from potentially infecting humans. Like I said, there's like over half a million viruses that we know of that could jump to humans, and we do not have the time or the money or the scientists in the world to create potential cures for all half a million viruses. That's just not going to happen, and it may take a couple years for that vaccine treatment toolkit to become available, even if we essentially pour in literally billions of dollars into studying every single potential disease. So mm. it's very possible that we're going to be spending absolutely immense amounts of money to prepare for pandemics that will never happen, vaccines will never need, and drugs will never use. And meanwhile, right. something completely different will catch us off guard. Okay. So, okay, so we spend a bunch of money learning how to play soccer and it turns out in order to save the world, we have to play hockey. Exactly. Okay. So then why? You got to roll the dice, no? 
that's the that's the thing. It, again, it sounds very appealing because you you don't want to be reactive. You you definitely do. You, again, like it, it, pandemics suck. We know this for a fact now, and and you want, definitely want to feel like you're in charge of your destiny. But the problem is statistics are simply against us, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's the real issue. The other problem is that. Let's say, again, we just talked about we have a virus that may never cross over to humans, but we've taken it, but we've taken it into a lab. We change some genes around, and now we know for a fact that it is an infectious virus could, that could get to humans. What if there is an actual lab leak this time? Potentially. Uh, completely unintentional. Somebody does, some, somebody does something stupid. And that virus is now out there in the wild before we actually were able to prepare for it. Right. It's an actual that that's a real danger. That's a real concern because I, I know there's a there's a lot of conspiracy theories where you know oh there's all these bioweapons being made et cetera et cetera et cetera. But in most governments, it's not really in most governments. Um, interest to release a bioweapon because you can't really contain it. It'll come right back to you in an era of international travel, of globalization. Whatever you release out there into the wild will almost immediately come back to you, and it's very likely you will either be the first victims or right. very close to it. So it's it, that's, that's not how that's going to work. And then if you're going to talk about malicious actors, you have to start considering things like doomsday cults and terrorist organizations way before governments, uh, which also not not necessarily a great thought, uh, but even worse is just plain old mistake. These are microorganisms that we have modified and we don't quite know enough about. We can follow the most stringent and strict of guidelines. What if accidentally it does get out of the lab, it does find enough resources and hosts to reproduce, which, by the way, is, is also not not a sure thing. But if you're doing these experiments constantly, you are increasing the chance that one of these viruses might actually get out by mistake and find enough resources to survive and find enough hosts to jump through and stabilize and actually then start infecting people. Uh, has that part even like I, I don't know? I feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth here, but I mean the whole um, the whole bioweapons story, as far as I'm concerned, like wild conspiracy theory. But I mean, have they even settled the the whole notion of if it wasn't oops from somewhere else or anything like that? I mean, have you read anything recently from that? Yeah, there's absolutely no proof to show any of this. Uh, the only the closest thing that different labs have worked on is uh, a number of bat viruses, bat coronaviruses, that were very, very remotely related to COVID, but were many generations removed. Um, the, there have been, the closest viruses that have been found have been found in bat caves around, um, around okay. certain uh, areas of China. Okay, cool. I, I'm just worth asking, because as, as you brought it up, I was like, well, wait a second. We haven't talked about this in a long time. Is there anything new that perhaps I haven't... Um that I haven't heard. So, you know, this is one of those things that, that we, um, you know, sometimes we have to refresh that we don't even know what's going on. Right. So. No, that's, uh, cool. no, that's totally fair. There have been, yeah. there have been new investigations to try and figure out exactly where the virus came from. And there's just more and more evidence that it came from nature. Um, mm. we, we just, they've actually even pointed out some specific caves where they think it originated. So, uh, wow. you know, that's, that's how, that's how, wow. that's how far we've gone down the, got down that rabbit hole. 
Well, you know what, though? I mean, to that point, though, when you get into bats, species of bats, and all the things that bats do in life, like, it's a fascinating story. You want to talk about a world of weird things thing. I mean, bats is like, it's like top of the list of unbelievable what they do in life and how weird it is. Yeah, and one of the most bizarre things about bats is that they have an overactive immune system. And so they're this reservoir for viruses that never cause them any problems, but very easily jump to other mammals because, you know, again, they're, they're mammals too. So pigs and uh, humans and, and cats and dogs can get infected from bat viruses. Mm-hmm. And the, pat, the bat doesn't even know that anything went wrong. So that's, uh, that's another really weird fact about them. Yeah. Okay, so playing virus roulette, one of the subcategories of your article, which is quite fascinating. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here, right? I mean, can we rehearse for something that we have no... I mean, it's a blind spot. This was a blind spot for us humans. And not only was it a blind spot, but our our politicians and organizations really did start to reduce the alert systems. In Canada, there was a pandemic alert system that got removed a few years before this. I mean, we this globalization notion really took over and then we started to spin that barrel and play the roulette of of what was what was the pandemic, yeah? I mean, part of the problem is that people don't really well, governments don't really want to continue pandemic emergencies. People don't want to continue pandemic emergencies. Um, and even though the virus is still out there, it's still infecting people, it's still going to infect people, we're just kind of saying, you know what, we'll deal with it because the economy needs us to go back to normal. You know, the, the supply chain needs us to go back to normal. The stock market needs us to go back to normal. And the system that we currently have simply does not, know how to handle a pandemic and the people mm-hmm. who are in charge don't know how to handle a pandemic and don't really want to. And when I say the people in charge, I mean the people who are really in charge, people who ran, who run central banks, massive financial institutions, capital markets, uh, political offices. They, they need the system to be firing at all cylinders because all of the indicators that they've set up for it, all of the supporting structures they set up for it essentially say Everything's just in time. Everything is optimized. We can't have pandemics. We don't need surpluses. Surpluses are wasteful. We can't have people staying home from work. We can't have people working from home too much because the business offices are empty. So it's much more a political consideration than any other one. And until we actually learn how to deal with pandemics properly as societies, pandemics are just going to suck. They're going to be tremendously disruptive economically and logistically and financially to millions and millions of people. And and I say that not from a standpoint of like, well, the virus doesn't care what you what you do, it's just gonna do its thing. But it's also true. But what I'm trying to say is I completely understand that this sucks and I understand why this was a problem and I understand why a lot of people really, really want to be done with it because it it just it impacted us in all the worst possible ways, but we don't really have a plan to make it better next time because the people whose job it was to come up with the plan decided we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. That goes back to that allure of this gain of function research where you can go to a politician and say, hey, I think that I can prevent the next pandemic. So let me engineer some viruses. I will prepare all the vaccines. I'll prepare all the treatments. 
And it sounds like a fantastically seductive pitch. There have been five or six programs like this um, basically uh, approved um, in the United States. Um, and there have been several more approved around the world where people are actually trying to do this with some of the uh, with some of the coronavirus reservoirs. They've tried to do this with influenza. Those studies have been published. And every time they've been published, a whole lot of experts have spoke out and said, this is really stupid. Please stop doing this. This is dangerous and you're going to get caught off guard. So then the question becomes, what do we actually do? Can we prevent another pandemic? And the answer is, we think that actually that might be a possibility, but the possibility doesn't lie in this gain-of-function research. The possibility lies in the development of the pan-coronavirus vaccine, which basically attacks the mechanisms of all coronaviruses. So instead of just targeting COVID, it's targeting other coronaviruses, other coronavirus strains, even things like common cold. It tries to essentially mm -hmm. make them less infectious across the board by, by targeting those critical mechanisms that allow coronaviruses to invade human cells in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Those are the vaccines that are currently being experimented with and tested. And what that does is it actually, actually locks up the last window for pandemics because the one big window that we have, the one big window that we used to have was influenza or flus well we have flu vaccines now we have treatments for for acute flu and we have natural immunity over more than 100 years of exposure then we have bacteria we have various antibacterial agents we have various antibiotics we have different ways of potentially getting around antibiotic resistance by using ai to invent new antibiotics or reusing some old antibiotics that the bacteria haven't seen in a while, or even using something called microphage therapy, where we create targeted cocktails to fight certain bacterial cult common bacterial cultures. And then finally, coronaviruses were the big oversight because we didn't really have anything for them. And the uh, vaccine that we do have is specific to COVID. So now targeting coronaviruses in general, just like kind of how we do um, with influenza, that would bring the danger from coronaviruses down to that of influenza. That leaves mm -hmm. the only other major group that could infect us, the fungi, kind of alone. But the thing is, we don't necessarily have to worry about that because our bodies are simply too hot for fungal spores to survive 99.9% .9 of the time. It's extremely right. rare that fungal infections are actually become life-threatening Although, in well, the era of global warming, there are some possibilities, but we can focus on that instead. So, I mean, and that's kind of the way I think of it. They're like, oh, by the way, there's a pandemic. That's okay. Dr. Bob has been practicing. What you got, Dr. Bob? Here's a toe fungus cream. Yeah, well, this is the bird flu. You know, like, that's what I feel like it is. But at the same time, if they do nothing, we've seen what nothing looks like in a lot of ways too. But you know, if you're truly going to look at this, you have to look at it from the perspective of saying, yeah, but can you ever really get it right? Can you ever really guess? Can you really ever know what this is going to look like and what it's supposed to be? And I think that, you know, I guess the, you know, you being computer scientists with the AI trying to figure it out, there's, I mean, I don't know. I, it's curious. It seems like an awful lot of money for maybe. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's that's really the that's really the biggest danger that we're going to spend all this effort targeting viruses that never actually cross cross over, and then we're completely caught off guard when a certain virus does hit. So 
we need to what we really need to focus on is is there any way that we can take out entire groups of related viruses mm-hmm. you know we're we're talking about like i said that that pan corona uh, pan coronavirus vaccine that targets many different possibilities in that coronavirus family so that's what we need to be really working towards that's what we really need to be investing in we need to be looking at broad spectrum solutions that significantly reduce risk of infection and reduce potential the potential for an acute disease no matter what we do there will always be something that will catch us off guard but if we already have some method of preparation some way to reduce transmission through vaccinations some uh, potential treatments that are broad spectrum we definitely blunt its effect and we will make the next pandemic a lot less terrible. Okay. There you go. World of weirdthings.com. You want to check out the article. I have posted the link at shiftheads.ca for you to see as well. A lot of unknowns, really. It's a lot of unknowns. Greg Fish, thanks so much for being here, brother. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.